Let us worship God. First reading is from the book of Micah, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for those who have carried them down through the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that we might hear your word for us this day. Amen. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the one whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the God of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them 
like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Holy One in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to God as in the days of old and as in former years. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. confessed those yet unborn will declare how i'm blessed to god's great mercy i gladly attest power and strength with God's arm, putting to flight in despair and alarm, those whose pride leads them to calculate harm. Alleluia. God forces rulers to forfeit the throne, lifting the unloved, the lost, and alone. God shows the favor Those who are hungry, God fills with good things. Those who are rich into poverty brings. Pregnant with justice, my heart gladly sings. Alleluia. God, who is faithful, has come to our aid. Never forgetting the promise was made. Each generation sees mercy displayed. Alleluia. What a great gift those musicians are to this church. That was a wonderful offering. Will you join me in thanking them? I feel like the scripture has already been proclaimed. It's a delight to be here in 7th Avenue this morning. I do bring you greetings from San Francisco Theological Seminary from your brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, in uh, a long relationship, still enjoying a long relationship between this congregation and the seminary. We just finished celebrating our 150th anniversary. A lot of that time we have shared. <laughs> Very kind. A lot of that time we have shared with the good folks of 7th Avenue, so we are delighted uh, to have a chance to reconnect as we all, well, it's hard to know what phrase to use, as we all hope that we are coming out of this time of pandemic. 
Listen for the word of God as it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. This is the passage, of course, traditionally called the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will rise up and call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who revere God's name from generation to generation. The Holy One has shown strength with the arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. The Holy One has helped the servant Israel in the remembrance of God's mercy. According to the promise made to our ancestors, to Abraham and Sarah, and to their descendants forever. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. Be in our words and in our understanding. Be in our hearts and in the loves we bring. Be in our lives and set us to praise. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Death in a tenured position. If there are any Carolyn Heilbrunn fans here this morning, you already know this is a borrowed title. The author of the Kate Fanzler detective series taught at Columbia University in New York from 1960 into the 90s, during which time she mostly managed to protect her scholarly reputation by the use of a pen name for her detective fiction. She used the name Amanda Cross. She set all of her works of fiction in academia, a territory that she, of course, knew inside and out. For as it happens, she was not only the first woman hired in Columbia University's famous English department, but she was the first tenured. Halbrim was also a scholar and a stalwart of the feminist movement, a heroine to many of us who followed after her for at least two really good reasons that I can think of. One, her academic work. Her academic field was women and literature. And her book, particularly a book called Writing a Woman's Life, is the kind of book that you can put on your nightstand. And even though it is a scholarly tome, you can read it like a devotional. That's one good reason, her academic work. The second is the fact that she was famously among the first women in academia to stop wearing hose and heels. You gotta love her for that. I thought of Heilbrunn as I contemplated today's text because I think she and Mary might have a few things in common. Certainly, Heilbrunn knew what it was to ride the waves of change. Not just change with a small c, but big shift change, a paradigm shift change, the kind of change the people of Hong Kong and Xerox and Downton Abbey know about. The kind where the world you know is tilting on its axis, the ground shifting under your feet. It seems that everywhere you look these days, the old is passing away. 
In my world, the seminary world, the world of academia, what often looks like, what often looks like passing away is white-haired professors trying to hold on to their power and their principles despite young faculty members' efforts to push things forward. We, I speak as having joined the white-haired brigade myself, we have wisdom born of deep experience. Oh my, deep experience. And of course, we are sure that we, I am sure that I, no better. The old is passing away. Nobody takes science or professors or school boards or governmental authority for granted anymore. Democracy itself is teetering. A year ago, who would have thought an insurrection at the US Capitol was even possible? Reminds me of what Chandler Stokes, a longtime Bay Area preacher and an adjunct teacher at the seminary used to say to our preaching students there, he said to appreciate the magnitude of the change that the early church experienced with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, you have to see how far reaching that shift was for them. It would be like, he said, as if our Pentagon, Federal Reserve Board, Congress, and White House were all blown up. The old is passing away. And ironically, the culture gets less respectful every day of the old, the elderly. Less respectful, less careful, less tender with every passing day. Where can we get support for those who are facing the last chapters of their lives? Who will come alongside us as we grieve our loved one who has gone on? Who will help us with our profound feelings of disorientation as we deal with their earth-shaking loss? Makes me think of the Reinhold Niebuhr comment at the time of the death of his second parent. He said, I feel the roof has gone out from over my head. The old is passing away in so many ways. Of course, every generation thinks that they are the Bob Dylan generation, right? The times they are a change in generation, and change is ever with us. But the change Mary knew about was something more than that. Change where one age is truly passing into another, and it is from her example and that kind of change that I think we might learn something useful this morning. The text we read this morning not only accepts, not only affirms, not only acquiesces to the passing of the old, but celebrates it. And perhaps this is how you know the difference between change with a small c and change in all caps. The shift this change relishes, this change exults in, is not just an a horizontal shift from age to age. It's also a vertical shift from high to low and low to high. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, Mary sings, and has brought down the powerful from their thrones. God has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich have been sent empty away. As Mary sings the words recorded in this morning's text, she lets go of the old. She lets go of her old view of the world as a world fixed 
in injustice, a world where nothing will ever penetrate the system, a world whose arc is bent toward perpetuating power holders' interests, a world whose causes are hopeless, the world where the poor will always be poor. She lets go of the old view of that world. In one moment, as Gabriel speaks, she sees a different reality. God is fulfilling God's promises, bringing about a world where justice will flow and everyone will have enough to eat. As Mary sings the words recorded in this morning's text, she lets go of her old view of herself as lowly, as someone who is seen by others as lowly, like a servant. Someone who is expected to be demure and deferential, who risks her well-being and even her life when she stands up, when she speaks up, when she dares to venture an opinion or make up her own mind. From the moment she says yes to Gabriel, she is someone different and more than Stuart Smalley's looking glass affirmations, she is someone different, no longer perceived as lowly, someone who knows herself to be blessed and knows that others will see it too. Mary lets go of the old view of the world. She lets go of the old view of herself. And as she sings the words recorded in this morning's text, she lets go of her old view of God. Her old view of the God who is slow, silent, hidden, mysterious, passive. As she sings, she sees a different God the immortal, invisible God, only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, becomes the God who speaks, the God who acts, the God who comes alongside the least likely candidate and strengthens her right arm, the God who cares for human creatures beyond all caring, whose mercies are new every morning, whose promises, as the old preachers used to say, are yes and amen the God who never leaves us or forsakes us. As Mary sings the words recorded in this morning's text, she leans into an experience of the God who may not always protect us, but who has a mysterious way of always sustaining us. Always sustaining us. Always sustaining us and pushing us on. Today's text, traditionally called the Magnificat, celebrates the God of the new and the now and the next. The name is drawn from the Latin word for magnify, and in magnifying God's grace, greatness, in taking a close-up of God's greatness, in dwelling on and reveling in God's greatness, Mary finds delight. Great, leaping forward, thinking, faith-filled, galloping, joyous delight. The kind of delight that makes it possible to let go of the old and welcome the new. Oh well, you say, that's, that's very well for young whippersnappers. 
for someone who doesn't have a lot of their nest egg tied up in Chevron stock or a professional reputation to protect. Someone who's not thinking about her legacy or wondering about all those decades that he sees in the rearview mirror and whether they have been well spent. It's all very well for the young to embrace the new. Those who have so little of the old to let go of. But what about us? What about those of us who have achieved a tenured position? Who see the grittiness of the world through our Coke bottom glasses? Do you expect us to embrace Mary's rose-colored picture? Maybe it is just that some of us are too advanced in years to take on her rosy glow. Well, if it were up to me, I would just say yes to all that. I would just say yes, we do it. We, we let go of the old. Somehow we teach ourselves to let go of the old because we have to. And because the alternative to letting go of tenure, to letting go of power, to letting go of control over everything around us, the alternative is death. And to die with our boots on and our portfolio grasped in stiff fingers is perhaps the ultimate tragedy for someone who thinks of herself as a person of fate. That would be my answer, something like that. Yes, we learn to let go of the old because we have to. Fortunately for us, Luke has a better answer, a better answer for all present and future members of AARP. As it turns out, rosy colored glasses is the last thing Luke is selling. He's not interested in it. When it comes to the ability to live between the ages, rosy glow has little or no place in Luke's opinion. All the lines that he has Mary speak, all the lines that we gen generally interpret Mary as saying in that sweet, young, handmaiden voice, all those same lines could be said by a feisty Catherine Hepburn or Ethel Merman by that aging or and aptly named pop star Madonna, the 50-something rapper Queen Latifah, or the venerable Rita Marino now returning to a screen in your neighborhood on the 10th. Rosiness is not on Luke's agenda or Mary's. If you want to take a page from Mary's best-selling memoir, Living While the Old is Passing Away, it won't be about rose-colored anything or about nostalgia or about shallow patriotism or thoughtless bravado. It won't be about prayers lightly prayed or being more right than the other guy. It will be about God, all about God and about God's astonishing grace. What value is Mary's song to us? The fact is, that what happens to Mary happens to us. What happens to Mary in the flow of blood and water happens to us, has happened to us in the waters of our baptism. We too have experienced in our bodies the dying of the old and the quickening of grace. 
No matter where we are on the actuarial charts, the new and the young rises up in us. No matter where we are in processing the events of January 6th or dealing with the loss of a mother or confronting the anxiety about finding a new place to live or the frustration of kabuki theater politics, no matter the new and the young in us in the body of Christ rises up. What Mary's story makes clear is that ultimately it's not about what we do and who we are. It's about the God who meets us in our baptism and at this table. The redeeming of the world, the shifting of the ages, the bringing about of the kingdom, the establishment of peace, justice, and healing, that's all about God. God working in just the same miraculous, mysterious way that pregnancy works unfolding invisibly and inevitably. But what does it look like in our lives, you might ask? I wonder about that too. I'll leave you with just a glimpse of what it might look like for us when God helps us let go of the old and bring in the new. This week I received a note from a friend of the family and she puts it this way. Last Christmas, we were thinking about the things we didn't have. This Christmas, we are thinking about the things we do. Last Christmas, we were counting our money. This Christmas, we are counting our blessings. Last Christmas, we were trying not to let annoying relatives get the best of us. This Christmas, we are trying to give the best of ourselves to them. Pondering the question of just how it is that God helps us let go of the old and scoops us up into the new reminds me of one last story. There was another woman once who stood in time at the passing of one age into another. She was a Victorian woman who lived in a Victorian house and had the misfortune to be married to a man who was both Victorian and very well organized. Now it happens that when this woman was of strong moral fiber and resolve, she managed to bend her will to the task of running the household smoothly. Over the years, she learned to anticipate her husband's objections to prevent disappointments and to forestall his anger. Gradually, she developed a system of list Keeping, seven o'clock breakfast, children washed, shirts stacked. 7.20, start wash. Tuesday, three o'clock, wash kitchen windows. 3.40, polish teapot, half of silverware. Until in the year or so before her husband's death, the fulfillment of virtually every need was provided for. Her marriage, by world, the world standards, was successful. Her house by anybody's standards, was clean. After a few years of quiet widowhood, she married again and began to learn some of life's more joyful lessons, the rewards of intimacy, the delights of playfulness, the satisfaction of mutual respect. In short, she fell in love for the first time. Her marriage, by anybody's standards, was successful. Her house, still clean. One afternoon in the attic, she chanced upon a stack of pages neatly ribboned together. 
Idly, she let her eye run down the first sheet and then the second, 7 o'clock breakfast, 7.20, start wash. Recognizing her old list, the list of chores and schedules by which she had formerly lived, she read on 3 o'clock, wash floor, 3.40, polish silver. The mental wheels whirled and clicked. She realized with a jolt that what she was doing now was just the same things that she had done before, in the same way, at the same time. What she had done before for duty, she was doing now for love. So it is, or can be, when the ages pass one into another. Amen. As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Mm -hmm. 
have fed us in word, in silence, in song, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and praise. Amen. Go forth this day and let go of the old and be scooped up into the new through love. The grace of Christ attend you, the love of God surround you, the Holy Spirit keep you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>